0: In gospel community, we are never alone. You are never alone. Hear that. Hear that. Because in this room right now, there might even be somebody contemplating, is life worth living? And we are your family. We love you. We will meet with you at noon or at midnight or 3 a.m. If you need someone, we're family. We're here for you. Okay? Please, please, please do not allow the great deceiver to deceive you into thinking your life is a waste of time. You are a gift. You have the breath of life in you, the breath of God in you. There's purpose for you. There's hope for you. And that's best found in gospel community. I pray, Lynette, that your family finds the gospel, finds the God of the gospel through this tragedy. Well, sorry. I know with the uh, graduates and and that, that's just business, guys. So if I make you a little later to your lunch today, I apologize. Not really, because this is what we do. But I feel like I need to apologize for you that might be mad. So let me start by saying thank you for coming back. Uh, Last week was a tough sermon. It's one of those that I didn't want to preach, and I preached it, and you all came back. Uh, The bad news is today's sermon might be harder. Uh, So um, we're just going to jump right into this, because... It's another tough one. So take your Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter five. <laughs> uh, today we will finish chapter five. Today is it, All right? And then we go on to chapter six next week. I know it feels like it's been it's, it feels like we've been in chapter five uh, forever, but I hope uh, that it has been profitable to you because I, again I don't think there's anywhere else in Scripture uh, that we get this kind of insight into the heart and mind of Jesus in His own words. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is Jesus. Like if Jesus showed up here physically to preach today, this place would be packed, right? Well, he is. In Matthew, not through me, I'm not Jesus, but Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus preaching to us. And so this is as if he's standing here preaching to us. And so, uh, the overarching theme of, of chapter 5, I think we could say this, is, is Jesus really focusing on the heart over our actions, our beliefs, over our behavior. Uh, Jesus seems to be more focused on what our hearts believe rather than on what we do. Now, the majority of Jesus' sermon here in chapters 5, 6, and 7, the majority of it is focused on the behavior of followers. But Jesus understands, and Jesus is reminding us in this passage that our doing is always influenced by our being, by our behavior, by our our beliefs, not our behavior, right? Our uh, doing will always be influenced by our being. Those two things cannot be isolated from one another. They are working in cahoots with one another. What we believe always flows what we do always flows from what we believe. It's from, Jesus says, it's from our hearts that our mouth speaks, right? It's, it's from our hearts that our hands do. It's from our hearts that our feet go. So, of course, Jesus goes after the heart of his people because as the heart goes, we go. And that's the point of Jesus. Our behavior is always the fruit of our beliefs. That's why it never works to try to just modify people's behavior unless you change what they believe. That's what Jesus is after in in chapter 5, especially through the Beatitudes. That's why Jesus keeps saying here in chapter 5, you have heard it said, but I say, right? Jesus's audience had heard the law. They know the law. They've memorized the law. Now Jesus was getting to the heart of the law, right? You have heard it said, do not murder law. But I say, do not even be angry with someone because doing so is murder in the heart. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, law. But I say, anyone who lust has already committed adultery in their hearts. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say, a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful commits adultery and causes her to commit adultery. The wisdom of scripture last week taught us that our protection from any lack of intimacy or compassion towards our spouse that leads to divorce or adultery comes from guarding our hearts. That's what Malachi 3 says. Malachi 3, we remember it says God hates divorce, but we forget that the remedy to that is guarding our hearts. And so now we continue this week, and we wrap up chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Let's just read the 10 verses, and then we'll unpack it a little. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are... Only kind to your friends. How are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I told you, it's going to be hard. Let's pray. Father, this this is a hard command. It's a hard command for us to hear, let alone embrace. And none of us in this room will desire this, nor will we submit to this, apart from your empowering spirit within us. Father, this morning we cling to the promise that you will finish the work that you have begun in us. So give us the desire to pursue and the power to obey, in Jesus' name, amen. So, when Jesus invites us to be his followers, in all of the Gospels, when you read this invitation, we're going to look at it in, in just a moment here in Matthew, but it's in Luke 9, it's in every single time that Jesus invites us to be his followers, there's three conditions, And beyond popular belief, the conditions are not pray a prayer, be kind to others, and go to church. That's not the conditions Jesus gives to be his follower. Uh, In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, one, give up your own way. Number two, take up your own cross, And number three, follow me. Now, we're not going to unpack Matthew 16 because we'll get there in about 10 years, as Tony puts it. So we'll unpack it a little bit more then. And and you know we've unpacked that a lot around here as we talk about our gospel identity and, and who we are in Christ. So we're not going to unpack the entire verse now. But for the sake of our conversation today, I think we do need to conclude that if we are going to be successful at obeying Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, then we must be practicing Matthew 16, 24. Loving our enemy goes against everything within us. Can I get an amen? That's why Jesus says the first step in being a follower of his is that we have to put to death everything within us. It's, really, it's brilliant, really. Jesus knows our greatest struggle is going to be ourselves. And so the first step in being a follower of Jesus is you must die to yourself, you must deny your own way. In denying ourselves, Jesus is asking us to put to death that thing in us that puts our way, our desires, ourselves above everything and everyone else because Jesus knew that if we don't die to ourselves, we will live unapologetically for ourselves and we will justify it and it will sound right. The only remedy to self-centeredness for the Christian is death. Now, this passage here in Matthew 5 is a hard thing to hear. And it's a harder thing to practice and we don't and we won't do what Jesus is asking us to do here if we don't first die to ourselves and find our contentment in the life of Christ alone. I just we needed to lay that foundation because no matter how committed you leave here today to Matthew 5, 38, 48, it just can't happen until you say, Father, I died of my wants and my dreams and my desires. It's not my life, it's yours. It's then and only then we can leave here with any confidence in the power of the Spirit that we can be in obedience to this text. The command's clear here in Matthew 5. Um, I think the Overall command is found in the last verse of the chapter, verse 48. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, Jesus is obviously not calling us to absolute perfection because that attribute belongs to God alone, right? None of us are God. None of us are perfect. So Jesus isn't necessarily calling us to physical perfection here. So what is Jesus calling us to? Well, the call to be perfect is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. That's Ephesians 5.1. So what Jesus is calling us to is maturity in likeness, maturity in godliness. The command here is literally to be like God to reflect God's character in and through your own life and in and through your own relationships. So the question is, what does that kind of godliness look like? Well, he gives us two examples here in our text. Number one, he says, hey, in verse 39, do not resist an evil person. And so we have to lean into unlovable people. Come on, some of us don't even want to walk out of our door for the people we love. Definitely. We don't want to lean in to the people we don't want to love. We certainly don't want to lean in to the people that don't deserve our love. But Jesus says if you're going to be perfect like your Heavenly Father is perfect, if you're going to be like God, you've got to lean into the unlovable. And the second thing he says is in verse 44 love your enemies. Jesus says this in the context of the Old Testament law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's Leviticus 24. You can read it later if you want to. And at first glance, this law sounds like a law of judgment. You take an eye, I take an eye. That's what it sounds like. But the truth is, this is not a law of judgment. This is a law of justice to make sure that the guilty don't pay more than the crime requires. This is a law of protection for the guilty. An eye for an eye was a law given to protect the guilty from suffering revenge or punishment more than they deserved. If they take your eye, you can't take their life And it's here in that context that Jesus is asking us to be like God and do a totally God-like thing. Love the unlovable. Love your enemy. And if I could define enemy for us, it would just be this. Anyone who doesn't like you or anyone who wishes you harm. It's a fair assessment of what an enemy is. And Jesus says... Those are the people I want you to love. In fact, when we, when you do, when you love unlovable people, you are being the most like your heavenly father who loved you when you were unlovable. And when we do that, Jesus says in verse, verse 45, you will be acting like true children of your Father in heaven. As God's children, we must imitate our heavenly Father and love as he has loved. Because love people... Verse 46, Jesus presses his because he probably feels the tension here. On the mountain, right? There's everybody's yeah, but. What about Bob? What about Bill? You don't know what Sally said. You don't know what Darlene did. So Jesus kind of just pushes in a little bit more. Verse 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much, to which his audience would go, we don't, we don't like tax collectors, big deal. But that was the scum of the earth in that culture. You were a tax collector, no one liked you. And Jesus says, they love people that are lovable to them. <laughs> loving the unlovable, listen to this. Loving the unlovable is what sets the church apart from the rest of the world. Loving unlovable people is what should Set the church apart from the rest of the world. Verse 47, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? This is Jesus. What makes you different than anyone else if you're kind to your friends who are kind to you? Because the pagans do that. Unbelievers do that. The world does that. Of course we're kind to the people who are kind to us. But you're the church. You need to be kind to the unkind people. I could confess something here. I have not been very kind to certain people in my life this week, mainly Apple. Uh, But I wasn't unkind, I was unkind to a person. But I'm, unkind, I'm being unkind to the company, right? This is therapy. Can I just take a minute here? We've been, for, for for four weeks, we've been trying to get a phone fixed. We have warranty on it. I have talked to at least a dozen people. It was supposed to be fixed this week. They tried to fix it. they like, nope, now it's going to be another two weeks. And I'm like, no, it won't. In fact, this is an exact quote. I'm a kind person. Ask people. I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not an in-your-face person, it's not my, it's not me. There was a point yesterday, I said, I want to talk to your boss's 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 boss, because I'm tired of this conversation every day for four weeks, and he hung up on me. (laughs) And I'm not mad at them, they're following us, I'm mad at the company, and I don't even know why I shared that, but as I read that, that came to my mind, so, confession, I'm sorry. I'm, far, I'm sorry to whoever that was in India that I was speaking to. But being friendly to unfriendly people is what's supposed to set us apart as the church. Now, if you learn anything from that story is we don't always get it right. Hello. Neither do you. Don't you sit there and judge me. We don't always get it right, do we? Jesus is saying, This is what sets the church apart. And if I could call Habababab in India, I'd say, Listen, I'm sorry. I know it's not your fault. In fact, I think I actually said, I want to talk to Mr. Apple himself. <laughs> I don't even know who it is at this point. I want to talk to the man in charge of everything. Uh, okay, I'm done. <laughs> so the command, so the command here is to lean into unlovable people and give them what they don't deserve love. And then Jesus gives us four examples in this text of what loving unlovable people looks like. Verse 39, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about all these because I want to teach them all together, but we need to understand that I did learn this this week in in my commentary reading. This, This doesn't mean that you have to sit there and take a beat down. This is more of a public slap of embarrassment, a public, just trying to publicly embarrass you. And you can imagine when you're embarrassed in public, you have a reputation, right? To uphold, to defend, a legacy. That's really what Jesus is going after here. They slap your right cheek, let them have your other. Verse 40, if you're suing in court and they take your shirt, give them your coat. Wow. 41, if a soldier demands you carry his gear for one mile, you carry it too. 42, you give to those who ask and you don't turn away those who, don't, who want to borrow. Now, here's what I want to say about all of these together. These are not commands telling us to stand still and let someone beat you down or strip you down. This is not a command to be a doormat and let everyone in this world take advantage of you and you can't do anything about it. This is a command to not trust in your own ability and in your own stuff and in your own reputation but to put your full confidence in the Lord. That's what Jesus is going for here. Again, this has a lot more to do with the heart than it has to do with the actions because Jesus knows That when we are acting out, when we are yelling at Mr. Apple, or when we're yelling at our neighbor, or when we're we're getting defensive about something that's going on in our life, it is a red flag, It it is a symptom that we are not trusting in our creator, who is the sustainer and the giver of all things, but we're trusting in ourselves ouch. You don't have to defend yourself against insults and embarrassment. You don't have to worry about what is taken from you. You don't have to worry about being taken advantage of. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. If they ask, give it to them and trust God. If they take it, let it go and trust God. If they try to hurt you, serve them and trust God. If they hate you, Jesus says, love them and trust God. If God has our best interest at heart, you can trust him. We can trust him with every detail of our lives. And when we start getting out of whack on these things, it's because we don't believe he has our best interest at heart. And so we have to take things in our own hands because apparently we're the only ones that have our best interest at heart. Listen. Jesus would never ask us to do anything that he doesn't, hasn't done for us ever. Can I prove it? You know, anybody know where I'm going? It's one of my favorite passages, 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to this, verse 23. He, Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted. Nor did he threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. To which we go, eh, does he? Verse 24. Jesus personally carried your sins. Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Fair? So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Is that fair? By his wounds, you and I, we are healed. Is that fair? No. <laughs> I mean, Jesus could have been hanging on the cross going, "God, this really isn't fair. I'm trying to do a good thing here, and they don't even care. It's not fair? I mean, I'm, I can look into the future, and, and I see this group of people in this church on Main Street in, in DeSoto, and I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about us, and I can see just how unfaithful they're going to be to this whole thing, and they say they're committed, but they're, they're all over the place. This isn't, and I'm doing this for them? It's not what he said, is it? He left. He knew all of that. And he didn't seek revenge. He didn't try to protect his reputation against all of their insults. He left his case in the hands of his heavenly father who always judges fairly. Let me land this plane by saying this. Jesus does not promise us fair. He promises us heaven and there is nothing fair about sinners being saved from hell because God sent his one and only son to die our death so that we could enjoy his abundant life nothing fair about that so we have a choice We can trust in ourselves to defend us or we can trust God who holds our lives in his hands to defend us. Trust yourself to protect what's yours or trust God who has graciously given you everything that you have to protect and provide for you. Every circumstance we find ourselves in Every situation we come face to face with comes down to one thing. Do we have enough confidence in our God that he will come through? And we do not have to verbally answer that question this morning because our answers, or our actions answer that question for us. So full circle here. This sermon is a complete waste of our time if we don't first die to ourselves. We cannot be more like God until we become less like us. It doesn't work. We will not ask God to help us love unlovable people to help us love our enemies if we don't first pray a prayer of death. I think I shared in midweek a few weeks ago that I'm working on, I don't know what it is, maybe just a thought that it will never make it to a sermon. or I, I, It's just prayers that, that Christians should be praying every day. I think there's at least three. I won't share them all, but I think the very first prayer that we should pray every morning when we wake up is a prayer of death. God, I die to my flesh. Crucify it. Because if I get out of bed in my flesh, I'm probably going to be in it for a while. Luckily, my job consists of getting into the scriptures a lot. So by, by, by 8 a.m., 8.30, I'm probably into some devotion time. I'm into studying something, and there starts to be a tug at my heart like, Hey, Hey, hello, Rick, I need you to put away Rick. I need you to slay your dreams and desires for this day and your schedule and your agenda. I need you to come back. I need you to be reminded of who you are in me. Remember, you died to yourself and you were raised in Christ. You're mine, right? But I'm telling you, if I get into 10, 11 a.m. and none of that's happened, it's gonna be a long day. My family's gonna suffer a little bit for it. Going to be a little bit more high, uh, or less gracious, less patient. Going to be a little bit more grouchy. Right? We will not ask God to help us love our enemies today if we don't die to ourselves first. We just won't do it. It's not a prayer you're naturally going to pray. God, I hate Jim Ramsey today for what he's done to me. Would you help me bless him today? That is not a prayer Rick Purtle will pray unless it's the Spirit of God in me going, God, I know he's hurt me, but I hurt you. I don't think about that in the flesh. I don't think about what I've done to God. I don't really care when I'm in the flesh. It's all about me. But in the Spirit, I'm reminded how much I've hurt my Heavenly Father. and He loved me even when I was a sinner. He sent Jesus to die for me so I can love Mr. Ramsey no matter what he has done to me. Let me me wrap it up. We won't trust God fully until we have come to the conclusion that we cannot be trusted. You've heard me say it before. No one has lied to you more than you've lied to yourself. No one has hurt you more than you have hurt yourself. Stop putting your confidence in you. Or is it just me? That about every day, on an average of six times, why did I do that? Why did I say I would do that? I don't want to do that. <laughs> what made, why, why did I go there? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? Did I just ask to talk to the bosses, 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 boss in a very unlikable tone? It's not who I am. Yeah, it is exactly who I am, apart from Christ. We will not trust God fully until we come to the conclusion that we are untrustworthy. So we must die to ourselves. We will not live for God until we die to ourselves. And I leave you with this verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So we can say with confidence... The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Here's the deal. You're about to find out. You're going to walk out these doors. You're going to get on the roads and the highways and the byways with these mere people. You're going to go to a funeral today and be around mere people. You're going to go to work tomorrow And you're going to be around mere people. And the writer of Hebrews says, what can they do to me? Well, that all depends on which me we're talking about. We're talking about you in the flesh. Are you crucified in the flesh and empowered by the Spirit? Because that you, that you has nothing to fear. Let them do it to you. You rest in the hands of a God who judges fairly. Let them say it about you. You rest your case in the hands of a God who judges fairly. You let them lie about you. You let them attack your reputation. You let them do whatever they feel like they need to do as mere people. And you stand there untouchable in the Spirit of God because what can they do when you're standing in the confidence that God is your helper, that God is your defender, that God is your provider, that God is your protector, that God is your shepherd, that God is your lover. And he will judge fairly. Now, we don't like that Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust, right? We don't want him to bless the unjust, but that's not for us. Our responsibility in all of this is to rest our case in the hands of the one who judges fairly. And we have the example of Jesus who's gone before us, who, who rested his case in the hands of his heavenly father. And so can we. Die to yourself. Lean into the unlovable. And you, you haul off and you serve them. Jesus says, then you're acting like true children of God. Then you are being perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we can't even receive this sermon in our own flesh. Somebody in this room could probably testify to that. This thing has just kind of went in one ear and out the other, and it's not going to be uh, pursued. It's not going to be obeyed because we know that our enemies don't deserve it. And that's true. God, we will never pursue this apart from your Spirit that's working in us. So would you help us die to ourselves? Be empowered by your spirit to live for you. May we leave here this week doing what the pagans do not do. Doing what the tax collectors do not do. But doing what you, in fact, have done. Loving, unlovable people. Serving ungracious people, being kind and friendly to unkind, friendly people. Not because they deserve it, but because you have loved us and you befriended us when we didn't deserve it. And the greatest reflection we can be for the kingdom of God this week is to go give to the world what they don't deserve and then tell them why. Tell them why. God, may we give them the gospel. Help us do that. We won't do that in our own strength, but only by the power of God within us. So stir us this week. Die to ourselves. Lean into the unlovable. And love them. Serve them. Be friendly to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. We do have team group tonight. It's been a few weeks, so we will be here tonight for those who can be here, and so we're looking forward to that. And then, uh, other than that, ready to go have a good week? Ready to go be tested? All right, let's go find out who our enemies are and let's love them.